Work It is sponsored by Carolina Asthma and Allergy Center, treating patients of all ages for a range of conditions, including food allergy, drug allergy, insect allergy, and asthma. Breathe, live, thrive. CarolinaAsthma.com. Jill, do you remember life before COVID-19? <laughs> Vaguely. I think I remember something about date nights in a restaurant on Fridays. Oh yeah, didn't you eat at the same Vietnamese restaurant every Friday for, like, years? <laughs> yeah, but memories of sitting in the restaurant feel like those old-timey silent films. What about you? What was your last night out before lockdown? I was in New Orleans with this guy I'm falling in love with. We went to music every night, and we ate out what seemed like five times a day. He lives in a different state, so it was so fun to meet for the weekend. It would be four months before I heard live music again, ate out again, or even saw him again. I generally consider myself a homebody, but even this is wearing me down. I've been working from home for decades now, but I have both my son and my husband working from home, which seems like it wouldn't be a lot because we're all adults, but really, it is. Yeah. I really enjoy being out, seeing and doing things that don't fall into the buckets of work or housework. And now it's all merged into work from home, housework, kids, and crumbs constantly. Oh, and then there were those few weeks where I also had the added pressure of trying to get this defiant high schooler to do online school. Looks like we're going to be doing that for months now. For my family, this is destined to be one huge power struggle that I'm probably going to lose. Yeah, these are super weird times for sure. But I will say that this new normal has given me a perspective of being really grateful. Other than my family being a little on top of each other, which is making me feel like my house is shrinking, we're healthy and we're secure. Plus, I'm not online schooling, so adjusting to working and schooling from home sounds like a nightmare. It's been rough, but as bad as a full house is, it must be so hard to isolate when you live alone. Home is no longer just where the heart is. It's where everything is. Everything. Cases are picking up in Mecklenburg County, and it seems like there is no end in sight to the orders to stay mostly at home. I'll do my part. I'll stay home as much as possible. And also, can I just say, I am so tired of being at home. Uh, me too. I am sure we aren't alone. Since so many of us are working from home, playing at home, exercising at home everything at home. Let's dedicate this episode to home, where we're going to chat with a web designer who has worked from her home for years, a carpet layer who works in other people's homes, and a realtor who works to help you find your perfect home. That's coming up on the Work It podcast. Hi, I'm Stephanie Hale. And I'm Jill Biers, and this is the Work It podcast, where we have conversations with people about their relationships with their jobs, and how it shapes their view of the world. Each episode, we follow our curiosities underneath the job and into the complex identities of the people we encounter in our everyday lives. Because on the Work It podcast, our core belief is that it's the people, not the jobs, that are truly interesting. Now it's time to get to work. For many of our listeners, working at home is a totally new concept that is taking some adjustment. Both Stephanie and I have been working from home for a while, but because of COVID-19, Stephanie has had the added strain of online schooling. Yeah, we're taking it one day at a time over here. But we're going to kick off our home episode with someone who might have the house keys to work from home success. Lisa Ellington. I am a 
web developer slash graphic designer. Those sound like two really different jobs to me. Sometimes they are. You see, a website is two pieces, the structure and design of what you see and the functionality of the website. She's both designing what you see and coding the structure of the website. I do collateral, like print collateral and brand identity stuff. Um, but it's just kind of shifted for me where designing websites and putting the front end together is really what I like doing. Because I, I like seeing that immediate result of solving a problem. I think it's fun. When you see Lisa in person, the first thing you notice is her smile. It hints at something mischievous. She's mid-40s with shortish blonde hair that balances practicality and artsy. Our first conversation was during North Carolina's stay-at-home order. So we connected over the phone and talked for a while. I could tell that we both definitely need someone new to talk to. Our first conversation was like two hours and only ended when our phones decided they needed a break. Lisa is so easygoing and casual that our very first conversation was like talking to an old friend. To add to that new friends chatting vibe, we decided to sit on our respective couches for our conversation. A really big, comfy, deep gray couch, and I have a bunch of pillows on it. And me and my soft gray couch with minimal pillows and a few blankets, just like the IKEA showroom floor. One of the unspoken side effects of marrying a Swede. Sofas are the new recording studio. What's her home office like? Actually, she doesn't have one. I have found that I feel really isolated in a space that's not more common. So the house that I own right now, my workspace is in my living space. Um, I have a standing desk in that space that I can convert to a sitting desk. And I'll sit on my sofa and work or I'll sit out on my back porch and work. Or sometimes I'll even sit in my bed and work. I work like that too. Some days I'm in my office, other days I'm at the kitchen table. I really need that variety. For Lisa, it's not just about the variety, but also about being around her kids, who are 12 and 15. She splits custody with them with their father, so when they're with her, she really tries to spend as much time as possible with them. I completely understand. My office doesn't have a door on it for much of the same reason. There's something comforting about being in the mix with the kids. I love eating lunch with them. Having the flexibility to move around, to be near them when you want to be, and then be away from them when you need to take a phone call is awesome. It's like it makes it possible to be both productive as a parent, available when they need you, and productive as an employee, able to be focused when the work needs you. Lisa takes that flexibility one step further to not only include where she's working, but also when she is working. For her, the day of the week is irrelevant, which means she often works seven days a week. Like 24-7? I am not a workaholic. <laughs> not a workaholic <laughs> at all. I don't really keep a normal schedule, and I'm okay with that. You know, I don't feel like I'm constantly working um, because I build so much free time into my weekly, daily work schedule. It doesn't feel overwhelming for me. It's just I'm not super organized in that I have to get up and shower and then sit at my desk and do the eight-hour you know, thing. For what I do and the way that I have structured my business and my life around my business, it's more fluid. It's so great to hear that she's embraced this kind of flexibility. I've noticed that during COVID-19, as so many of us have been starting working from home for the first time, the prevailing advice from websites and publications 
is that success lies in replicating the office environment at home. Yeah, they've been saying that for years. I remember when I first started working from home in 2003-ish, the advice was to do everything as if I'm going into the office, which is weird, since if I wanted to do that, i just go to the office. Exactly. We leave so much of the productivity benefits of working from home on the table if we don't adapt our routine to our own natural rhythms. I read this book called When by Dan Pink last year, and it's basically about managing your energy and not your time. It turns out this nine to five we hold so sacred as like working hours doesn't really capitalize on the best energy times for most of us. Research he cites says that the better working hours for most people would be like 6 a.m. ish to noon and about 3 p.m. to about 8 or 9 p.m. So maybe she's not just non-traditional. She's smart. Yeah, Lisa has definitely figured that out. It doesn't matter if it's a weekend or a weekday. I'm, I don't really typically stop on the weekends unless I feel like I need it. There are times when there's a day during the middle of the week that I just need a mental health day or I feel like I won't be able to get much done because I'm under stress about something with life. Yes, this is exactly the kind of mindset I think the world needs, especially now. But it seems like it's hard to reconcile this kind of self-management with the relentless American ideal of working around the clock to climb the corporate ladder. My goal in life is not to make the most money. It's to make the most out of my time and my space here in this world. You know, of course, I want to do well. I want to provide for my family. (laughs) I want to be able to make work work around my life. And um, it's been really cool. It's, it's, It's a dream. It really is. Is working from home a dream for you, Steph? In my pre-COVID work life, I would say yes. I had a dream scenario. I worked from home and then I traveled a lot. That was a dream for me because I got to be home when the kids got home from school most of the time, but then I also got to be in new cities, around new people quite a bit, which is really energizing for me. I won't be doing any work travel through the end of the year and I'm really missing it. But once in a while, I'll admit, I miss the camaraderie of the office. How about you, Jill? Is this a dream for you? Dream? Well, that's a strong word for me. But I've always liked working from home and its perks. But I also miss traveling. Although my work arrangements haven't changed a lot, my husband's now working from home. And you think that wouldn't have a big impact on me because we have separate home offices, but it has. I didn't realize how much I enjoyed the routine of him coming home from work. To me, he is home. So his energy changes the house from my workplace to home, which has affected my productivity. So yeah, while COVID hasn't changed my work, it's changed his work routine, which has impacted my work routine. Lisa's pretty lucky. COVID hasn't upended her routine much at all. It's pretty much the same other than the weeks that I have my kids. And mind you, my kids are 15 and 12, so they're pretty self-sufficient. But I do get interrupted more during the day when they're home and I'm working from here and I can't like go to a coffee shop or whatnot and work. Other than that, it's pretty much the same. Um, I do for whatever reason, maybe it's just psychologically knowing that I have to stay home. I feel a little more isolated. But she is feeling a bit of the fatigue that we've all been feeling. The last few weeks, I've just been, you know, not quite as productive as I normally would be and just a little less motivated than normal. 
And that's something that everyone is kind of going through right now. Lisa's way of working is becoming more the norm. But when she started her career, very few jobs offered this kind of flexibility. So how did she get started? When I was a little kid, like I would make books. Typography was always something that was really, really interesting to me. Even as a little kid, I I remember reading um, like uh, Shel Silverstein poems. And there's a poem in one of Where the Sidewalk Ends, I think is the book. And it's it's called Lazy Jane. And the way the type is laid out, all these words fall to her mouth. And her, the illustration is of a girl at the bottom of the page. and that sort of thing, looking at that, even as a little kid, I knew it was really interesting to me. I remember how the kids fought over the Shel Silverstein books at the school library. I guess that was most kids' first exposure to the power of visual design, even if most of us didn't realize it at the time. Lisa did, though. Fast forward to college, and that love of design was still there, but she didn't immediately see it as a career possibility. I wasn't figuring out what I wanted to do. I was really flailing a little bit, because I just I couldn't find the right fit. And so my second year in, I was like, I got it. I saw the catalog. I I looked at it. I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I needed to be doing. But her parents didn't see an art degree as a good investment. So they stopped paying for her schooling. And so I got loans and I figured it out. And I went through school and it just so happened that the internet was starting to come up. (laughs) Remember when there wasn't the internet? (laughs) Yes, but shh. You're confirming our old lady status for our listeners. Uh, Do you remember how ugly the internet was back then? Yes. Mismatched fonts and weird spacing and everything took like forever to load. Drop shadow everything. Forget the internet. I remember our first home computer. My dad was doing some graphic design work or what they called typesetting in the 1980s. I was in middle school when he told us that we had to get a computer at home for him to do his work. And it was going to cost a fortune so we couldn't touch it. It was that little rectangular Macintosh. Fancy. I was totally fascinated with the family computer, an Atari 800. My first book report printed out on a dot matrix printer was a huge source of pride for my eight-year-old self. I don't even remember the first computer I had, but Lisa does. So we had computer lab at school, but you know that closes at a certain hour. So we would sneak in every once in a while. We knew how to get in. But I wanted a computer at home. I couldn't afford it. I mean, my parents were blue collar. You know, we, they couldn't afford to just go buy, spend $2,000 on an Apple computer because that was the cost. One summer, I calculated how much money I could make and that I could almost get the entire amount by the end of the summer to buy my first computer. I saved every penny that summer and um, I bought a Mac 2SI with 16 megabytes of RAM. It was really rocking computer. But making that sacrifice and getting that computer allowed me the freedom to experiment at any time that I wanted. And it turns out that ability to experiment on her own made all the difference. I started my career right when the internet was just starting out. I mean, like mid-90s. So to get anything as a designer to work online, you kind of had to figure it out yourself. I was just plain lucky or the timing was perfect when I was going through college and starting my career because if I would have been a couple years older, the internet wouldn't have been around when I was in college and I wouldn't have had time to experiment with it. I love it. It seems like our careers are driven by a combination of choice and chance. My favorite aspect of my job is actually sitting down and writing code and watching it 
come to life. I mean, it's a total geeky thing, but I love doing that. It's the creativity part. You know, we start our day and something that didn't exist now exists and it makes someone's life easier or it helps a business sell a product that helps a family put food on their table or whatnot. And it's just the creative process is, is so fun. Lisa's creativity and love of problem solving shows up not just in her work, but how she works. So my kids think that's very normal, that parents just are around all the time and can go to all of their um, events and all of their things. I have to explain to them sometimes, like, you guys are lucky. Like, <laughs> you know, not all kids have their parents to do those things, you know. And this gets at the heart of why Lisa has created this kind of life for herself. Many people, especially women, struggle to make their work and their families coexist well. Also, as more and more dads start to shed that old stereotype of the uninvolved dad, they're feeling more and more of it too. It doesn't seem like Lisa feels that though. Her lifestyle allows her to thrive as a designer and entrepreneur and a highly engaged mom without burning out. It's funny because her style may leave some people with the impression that she's a slacker, but actually nothing could be further from the truth. She worked at agencies early in her career and really loved the camaraderie and collaboration with other designers. But what she didn't love was the agency pace. It was too slow for her. She works hard and fast, so sitting around the office, killing time till quitting time, just didn't suit her. Yeah, working from home allows her to work within her own rhythm. It's important to note that part of why she can set her own pace is that she works for herself, which gives her more control over her time and schedule. Although, she does have clients that sometimes dictate her schedule. That isn't the norm for her. You can hear it in the enthusiasm she's able to maintain for her job. Oh my gosh, I love it. I have the best job in the world, I swear. Like, I get to wake up every day. I get to create something new every day. Um, I get to solve people's problems and help people promote their causes and their businesses. And I am the luckiest person in the world. Yes, wake up and create. Not wake up, get ready to create, but first do all this non-creative, de-energizing stuff like ironing work clothes and commuting. She really seems attuned to her creative energy. Spending a little time in Lisa's house has been really invigorating. I wish I could work from her house once in a while. Right, but I still have this itch to get out of my own home. What would be great is if I could work at a different house every day. Maybe that would give me the variety I miss so much. Our next guest gets to do just that. Ron, the carpet installer, brings new meaning to the term work from home, or homes, since he works in a different home every day. That's coming up on the Work It podcast. Support for Work It comes from WFAE members and from Carolina Asthma and Allergy Center, committed to educating both the patient and the caregiver with the goal to improve one's quality of life. Breathe, live, thrive. CarolinaAsthma.com. Hey, Work It listeners. Did you know there are more than a million individuals in the Charlotte area? That means countless moments, perspectives, and Work It stories to cover. So, who should we interview next? A banker, a fast food worker, or maybe somebody you know? Submit your ideas at wfae.org slash workit. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, NPR One, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You never know who we might interview next. Now, let's get back to the episode. 
We've clearly established that I like working from home and I like my family, but the adjustment kind of makes me wish I could work from someone else's house sometimes, just to mix it up. Our next guest gets to do just that. Ron Reed is a carpet installer and he's been working from other people's houses every day for nearly 40 years. I think if I do the math correctly, I have put in over a million yards of carpet. For a little context, that's like carpeting from Charlotte, North Carolina to Lansing, Michigan. Wow, that's a long drive. Let alone to carpet that distance? My knees are hurting just thinking about it. But Ron's gait doesn't show any signs of sore knees. Only his knuckles give him away. His knuckles have enormous calluses, and on the day when we met near his home in Valentine, they were cracked and looked like they had bled recently. Huh. I would have thought the knees would take the brunt of that strain. But his knuckles? I tuck it in behind the tack strip, and where my knuckles rub against the baseboards for three and a half decades, it has caused it to uh, look like, uh, I don't know what. (laughs) But you're right about the knees. They've also taken a little wear and tear, but it's not so visible. I'm okay when I'm down. I'm okay when I'm up, but it's the up and down. But to be honest with you, I mean, when you're 53 years old and you're in any type of trades, that's you're pretty much going to have that. You know, work is work. I expect to sweat. I expect to hurt. Yeah, I expect to come home and be sore, but I don't let that stop me. When you hear nearly 40 years and hundreds of miles of carpet, You may be thinking Ron is going to be an older man. I did, but when I met him in the fall of 2019, I was totally surprised. He could pass for 40. Hardly any gray hair, totally relaxed, noticeably fit. Not like ripped CrossFit type fit, but functionally fit. Broad shoulders, trim belly. He doesn't even work out. Work is his exercise. And he says it has to be that way for him. He even goes so far as to say that staying still sitting at a desk, that's what would break his body. His body craves the movement. He's really smiley, he walks with this spring in his step, and is immediately ready to start telling me stories of his life in the carpeting business. Wait, Steph, 53 minus 38. Ron started laying carpet at 15, is that right? Yeah, just 15. The same age as my son is now. Also the same age as Ron's son. Despite having good grades, Ron dropped out of high school to begin full-time work with his father, who was also a carpet layer. I didn't have that option. I mean, I did, but I really didn't. You know what I mean? I knew the writing on the wall. I knew we were lower middle class with a father who was alcoholic. I knew I wasn't going to college. I knew where, where my escape was going to be on my hands and knees. So for me, it was never a decision that it took longer than seconds to make. And I never, honest to God, ever went back and regretted it. Uh, He grew up so fast. Yeah. Imagining my son facing that kind of unfair choice makes me really sad. But imagining my son growing up into a man with as much clarity and commitment to his values as Ron, that thought makes me really happy. Starting that young, it would be easy to be resentful, but Ron isn't at all. And each day is a new house to work in. One thing that I wish didn't take so long for me to learn was that in the trades, when you work into someone's house, your mentality is, this is my job. This is my workplace. The truth is, it's the customer's home. And you really should be honored that they will allow you in their home. Ron doesn't see his job as just putting down carpet. He sees it as much more than that. We go into a home where it's 
God only knows, disgustingly nasty. And when we're done and we're walking out and we're when our vacuum is just vacuum the last step, I mean, it looks gorgeous. And that feeling is something that has kept me going all these years. I still get that feeling. I mean, on every job, wow, it looks good. You know, I can feel good about that. Yeah. I recently had new carpet put in, and when I inspected the job, the installers and I looked around, and I was like, yeah, wow, my house looks good. My work isn't tangible in that way. I know I've helped people, but I don't get to see them through to the end like Ron gets to. Yeah, knowing the work is done is awesome. And actually, it's at the heart of a change in the flooring business that Ron attributes to his father. Did you know that back in the 70s, carpet installers didn't vacuum the floor after they installed it? How would I know that? How old do you think I am? Older than I am, so I thought maybe you would remember. Well, my memories of the 70s are pretty focused around Wonder Woman and my tricycle. But even my five-year-old self would have been disappointed if they had left scraps all over the floor. They considered it women's work to vacuum, so they left that to the lady of the house. Until Ron's dad started vacuuming before he left so the customer could have the best possible experience. The other guys laughed at his dad at first, but now they all do it. That's the number one thing, is especially in today's world where people are so on edge, is that to really make the customer feel safe. You know, because we deal with a lot of female customers, and I always want my men to visualize it. Say that we're working for your wife or working for your mother. How would you talk? How would you walk? Ron is so focused on making sure his customers are comfortable and satisfied that he employs a pretty unconventional strategy to keep him truly customer-focused. Yeah, I've never sat down to this day and figured out whether or not I made a profit or a loss. My accountant, of course, does, but I don't look at jobs that way. Once I start looking at people as a dollar sign, I lose that whole relationship with them. Because to Ron, the relationship is paramount. Several times he made comments about being proud that there's no bad blood anywhere in his work life. I'm fortunate enough to where, you know, even though I've made a lot of mistakes, I don't think there's any place I could go where I would have to go down another aisle. Here's a story to illustrate how this shows up for him. He got a job putting in some really high-end carpet for a woman who ran in the same circles as his wife. He describes this story as... An embarrassing thing. I messed up the carpet in a couple spots. It was a looped carpet. And when we stretched it, we busted a couple. I busted. Can't blame it on no one. I did. (laughs) A couple of these loops. So I went to trim the loops with my scissors. And even though the loops were trimmed evenly, because they were no longer loops, they were now visible. Two loops and a whole room of carpet. That doesn't sound embarrassing. Just part of the job, right? Sometimes there's a scratch here or a drip there on all home improvement things. Well, this lady was not happy, and she didn't want to pay for the job, and she demanded that he pay her back for the carpet. It took a few months for him to pay her back in installments. You've got to be kidding me. Over a couple of loops in a whole room? You know, it's a situation that could have been absolutely ugly because it's a situation where some guys would have said, well, you know, that's part of the carpeting. But the truth was that I was able to recognize I didn't give her 100%. She got 98% or 96%. And the fact was is that she paid for 100 And that was cool because it was shortly thereafter this experience happened. I just happened to be in the neighborhood, and I uh, was at the red light, and sure enough, who pulls alongside me is her sister. 
And how embarrassing would that have been had I told this lady six months ago, I'll see you in court, you know, heck with you. You know, I would never have been able to see her without being totally humiliated, you know, so. Hmm. I see what you're saying. Integrity and customer satisfaction are really important to him. He must get a pretty candid view into the real nature of people by being in their homes. Yes, he does. And he's noticed a shift over the last couple of decades. He says he sees a lot of customers who are so particular about their homes that he wonders if they may be experiencing an OCD-like anxiety. He also says he sees an alarming number of hoarders. I'd say probably 10%. I mean, there's hoarders to... You can't open up the kids' closet doors and get into the kids' bedrooms. We'll say that's a minimal. But then we got customers where, I mean, it's the sickness where, I mean, they've got six sofas in the living room and stuff in every room piled from top to bottom. That's pretty crazy. I wouldn't have thought that there were that many hoarders. Yeah, that's a small minority, of course. But the common thread among all these observations he sees in people's behavior at home is anxiety, sometimes big and sometimes small. People today are, are less comfortable than they were, say, 30 years ago when you're in your home. So I do more today to make the customer feel more comfortable. Just, I think, having strangers in their house. I mean, today's world, you know, very seldom is somebody knock on your door and the first words is, who the heck is knocking on the door? Who is that? The world's not as sociable as it was 20, 30 years ago. You know, even like in the South where there's, so, you know, supposed Southern hospitality. And I don't want to upset my southern customers but we won't be offered a glass of water on most jobs i mean people just be on their computer not say two words what does he make of all that anxiety he kind of chalks it up to the busyness of the lives of his customers who are mostly upper middle class or higher but he himself tries hard not to get pulled into that lifestyle we're pretty simplified in the pre-covid days ron would drop his son off at school and pick him up every day and work the six hours in between his son's involved in a couple of sports, but other than that, they just like to spend time together as a family. So one thing I can't help but to wonder is if Ron ever went back and finished school. Nope, he didn't. You can do it without one. You know, it's just a piece of paper. But that doesn't mean he doesn't feel the sting of what that piece of paper means in our society sometimes. I'll be honest with you, yeah, there's always that feeling that I guess education puts people in a higher social status. So, you know, if I'm sitting there with a doctor, a lawyer, and a CEO from, uh, you know, a company, yeah, I'm going to feel less than, you know, naturally. Uh, not saying I am, but I know that that's just an innate feeling that I'll have. So, Ugh, I hate that. Me too. It's funny. I think of him sitting there next to executives the kind of people that hire people like me to coach them so they can lead in a way that's more humble and aligned with their values or maybe to help their organizations become more customer-focused or dedicated to excellence. And I'm thinking, you know who should really be coaching these executives? Ron. He's got all that nailed. So what about his son? Will his son follow in his footsteps? Ron's son is growing up with a very different set of options than Ron had, and Ron doesn't want to push him in either direction. No, no, I, I have nothing against education. I mean, the truth is, is that you can't learn that in school. You can't learn how to swing a hammer, how to bring a piece of carpet in up a flight of steps without scratching up the ladies' walls and all that. That's all stuff that really you have to be able to see a job differently. You can't teach that to somebody. That's the problem. The desire of wanting to be independent, wanting to be proud of your own work, 
wanting to be proud of work, period. It's just something that you have to have. Ron is so right. Even though I loved college and have advanced degrees, I knew it wasn't where my son would thrive. So I didn't push him. He did a few part-time semesters, but because moms are always right, he didn't love it. Now he's working in tech, loves it, and is supporting himself without a degree. And I doubt he'll ever need one. Ron's education in carpeting came from his father. He describes his dad as volatile, demanding, and hard to please, and they undoubtedly had a complicated relationship. But his dad taught Ron everything he knew, and Ron still clings to those lessons on the job. And I hear my dad still yelling in the back of my ear, hurry up, son, don't bleed on the carpet. <laughs> Watch the walls, keep the door closed when you come in. You know, little, little pet piece he'd have on the job, but you know, he was good though. Yeah, and you know what's really interesting? I spoke to Ron initially before the pandemic and then checked in with him during the spring to see how his business was going. He told me his business is booming. He was busier than ever. At a time when people were worried about their jobs in most other sectors, Ron says now more than ever, people want to improve their homes. Totally makes sense to me. Being quarantined in a house with three other people made me really start to question what my priorities were when I bought our house. And that was just three years ago. Mostly the size of it. I had no idea how small my house would be for four adults all the time. That will forever be in my mind when I look for a new house. Yeah, I think all of us are feeling like our houses have shrunk over the lockdown. Yep, like our jeans. <laughs> right? Maybe that will mean a big uptick in business for our next guest, Ian Leonard, a realtor. It's always kind of been a family business. I, I grew up in it and then... Of course, as most people do, that's what I ran away from at first. His parents are owners of a real estate farm? My parents are actually not. He has many family members in the business, but they don't own a business together as a family. What might be more accurate is to say that his father was the inspiration for his passion about real estate. My father always like, you know, our Sunday thing was to go and look at houses being built and stuff. Like it was just something that always interested him. And I feel like it was always something he wanted to do, but he never did. As he said, Ian first shied away from being a realtor and took a different interest in a related line of work. My background is actually in urban planning. After working through that, I got to the point where I realized that urban planning is great, but it wasn't that instant gratification. It was long-term, you know, I might never see these things happen. I may be dead before this road gets built or before I see that sidewalk. So I came back into real estate and um, I enjoy it because I feel like I do get to see a goal reached within just a few months for most people. Another characteristic that drew him into real estate is his natural desire to see what's behind closed doors. Strangely, yeah, I'm very curious overall as a person. So part of going out and exploring houses with people, it's fun. You know, it's fun to see like the weird stuff that people do and, you know, why would someone do that crazy thing to their house? Okay, what's the weirdest thing he's seen? When rose gold appliances came out, like, wow, that's pretty cool. I've never seen that before. You know, wasn't a long trend, but it was kind of cool. Rose gold. What a weird trend. I wonder if that's when the rose gold iPhone came out. Hmm, I wonder. Note to self, Google rose gold appliances after the episode. I would have loved to have interviewed Ian in his home, just to see the trends that he's adopted for his own space. But, you know, COVID. COVID. Yeah, 
So instead, we met on Zoom in the spring of this year, just as Charlotte was beginning to ease out of lockdown. I found Ian on Facebook when a friend posted a link to a house that he had just sold. Does Ian have that classic realtor cover look photo with his hand propped up on his chin and a little extra gloss photoshopped on his lips? Is that like still a thing or has that look gone the way of the business cards they were printed on? I know the look you mean and no. It seems like social media has given way to a more human realtor image. Ian's photo does not include a smoky background or obvious photoshopped enhancements. But he does project a very clean-cut image. Short, side-parted hair, crisp white collar, smile that says approachable but not eager. Even though we're both fantasizing about going into other people's houses, I was a little surprised that people are buying houses during lockdown. It seems like people would be afraid of the germs. So I was really excited to talk to Ian. I had so many questions about how you even do the home sell process during a pandemic. This is one aspect that has gotten easier because now it's don't touch anything. And there's a good reason that you're not allowed to touch anything. Like if you want me to open the closet door, I will open the door with my disinfectant wipe and don't touch anything. Really keep your hands in your pockets with your gloves on, you know. Pre-COVID, he had a different problem. Rather than telling people to make sure they had their gloves on, he had to remind them. Try not to be too nosy, but <laughs> definitely pulling buyers back a lot of times. Like, hey, 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 you, you can't like open and go through stuff, obviously, <laughs> you know, hands off. <laughs> Their dresser has nothing to do with the house. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny that people would go through the drawers. Thank you, COVID, for teaching people some manners. Yeah. Ian talks about another way COVID has changed professional manners. It's gotten a lot less personal, which is the hardest thing for me is, you know, meeting someone for the first time, like not shaking hands, saying, hey, you know, you kind of have to be far away from me. You know, those things have been the biggest struggle for me. As far as, you know, putting the gloves on, taking shoes off, wearing a mask, it doesn't bother me. I realize it's for safety. It doesn't bother most of my clients. Steph, have you met anybody new since the pandemic? Mm, no, I don't think I have. It's super uncomfortable to not be able to shake their hand. That awkward elbow bump is even more awkward with a stranger. Oh, yeah. I thought that cheek kissy thing was weird when I lived in New Jersey, but this is even weirder. Are we trying to like high five with our forearms or kiss with our funny bones? I honestly don't know the etiquette. Yeah, but even though Ian has to do business differently now... I was surprised to learn that he doesn't report a big decrease in the housing market so far related to the pandemic. Which of course we asked because Ian says that's what everybody asks. At least those people who don't run away after hearing he's a realtor because they don't want to be on the receiving side of a sales pitch. Yeah, Ian is definitely not the sales pitch type. But people are always asking him about the market, about what their home might be worth, and other questions that he'd have to be clairvoyant to answer off the top of his head. A lot of those things are hard to tell in real time, too. You know, they've just announced a new building yesterday. I can't tell how that's going to affect the market immediately. I can guess, but I always tell people, like, that's just a guess. In that way, people often overestimate the scope of a realtor's knowledge. They can't see the future of the market. But in other ways, Ian says they often underestimate the expertise of a realtor. Many think that it's just showing houses. Our work really starts once we find the house. It's easy to put a deal together. Well, it, it's somewhat easy to put a deal together. It's really hard to make it close. I mean, by the time you get through 
inspections and appraisals and all of that. I mean, most deals, if they're going to fall apart, fall apart dealing with repairs from the inspection. So there's a lot of back and forth on figuring that out and going back to, you know, your handyman, your contractors, Hey, what can we do to get this fixed and get it fixed right at a reasonable price that everybody's happy with? Yeah, I can see that. Most of the hard work is done behind the scenes. So much of his value is hidden from their immediate view. I'd never move if I had to do all that paperwork myself. Are there any other myths about realtors that we should dispel while we're on the topic? There is one more misconception that really bothers Ian. People think that just anybody can get a real estate license and it's easy. Actually really is hard. Like you go through the school and you think you've got it, but then you get to that state exam. This is a lot of information to remember. Ian has both a bachelor's and a master's degree, but chose a career that didn't require either of them. This has been a theme for many of our guests over the season. It seems that there's this persistent belief that you have to have a degree for every job. But over and over, we keep finding people who never got a degree, like Ron, or people who have multiple degrees, like Ian, and they find their passion elsewhere. So what is it about real estate that makes Ian love this job so much? I love the relationship building of it all. But when you look at the essence of how these relationships began, it's pretty crazy. I meet strangers online, and then we get to make houses together. But he meets with them over and over house after house, through the appraisal and the inspection, and eventually they really become friends. I can see why Ian is a great real estate agent. The whole time we're talking, he wants to ask me questions and get to know me. I had to keep reminding him that I was the one doing the interview. I would have the same problem if I was being interviewed. Realtors are really good at making a personal connection. When I moved from New Jersey to North Carolina, my realtor was one of only a handful of people that I knew in this state. We moved in early November, so she invited us to have Thanksgiving at her house with her friends and family and a few other clients. Oh, that's so sweet of her to make sure that you feel part of a community for the holidays. It was. A year later, I was considering selling my house. When we were out house hunting, I got the news that my marriage was irreconcilable. Poor thing had to witness that disaster. But with grace, she cared for my kids while I struggled through that moment. You don't think of that as being part of their job description. But buying a house is a really big deal to most people. That would give a realtor a peek at a very personal side of their clients. Those kinds of experiences have a really big impact on Ian. I'm in a room with another person who I barely knew three weeks ago for three or four hours. So the conversations go a lot of places and you really learn a lot about each other. And I think it's really opened up my view of the world and how other people's lives are and, you know, what their day-to-day is. The one thing he's noticed about people's day-to-day is pretty similar to what Ron notices about how people keep their homes. It's amazing to go in someone's home sometimes and be like, wow, this is immaculate. Someone really lives in this house, you know, and all their shirts are organized by color and it's spotless, you know, and it smells like I just walked into the W. Jill, what does the W smell like? Oh, posh hotels smell so good. The W smells like almonds and fresh flowers. Ron described this population as those who are really particular about their house, almost obsessively so. Ian has seen them too. Like us, he's also surprised by the number of people who could be described as hoarders. But unlike Ron, who has to work around their stuff, he has to help them get cleaned up and organized in order to sell their home. It's one of the things that was hardest to me when I, you know, to list a property and to tell people, hey, you need to do this. But I found the way when I have someone who wants to list their house and it's just a wreck, 
the easiest way is to not beat around the bush and just rip the bandaid off immediately and go through with the clipboard and say, this, 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 this all needs to go away. You need to clean this. I'll help you do it, but we can't let people in this house with it looking like this. I do find it very interesting when I go in someone's house and it's just a complete mess. And I'm like, you knew we were coming, right? You know, like <laughs> you realized that we were going to be here trying to sell your house. He must really have a lot of trust of people to do that part of the job, which might be embarrassing or frustrating for his clients. And then still maintain the relationship to work with them through the other parts of the sale. Understanding that rapport and balance helps him build those relationships, which ultimately builds his business. My parents have lived in the same home for 45 years. So I don't think of people buying and selling homes frequently, but for Ian, most of his clients are repeat customers and referrals. There's a house down the street that I've sold three times now. But there is one moment in the process that Ian finds a little awkward. The actual closing. Um, you don't really know what to do. Like, you know, you get to the closing table and it's like, do we hug now? Do we open champagne? What What's the step, you know? And in North Carolina, it's so weird because you don't get keys until it's actually recorded. So like they close on the house and everything happens. And then it's kind of like this letdown moment where, all right, well, I'll let you know when it's recorded and I'll come bring you your keys. <laughs> I bought homes in three states and didn't even notice this difference in North Carolina. I can see that being awkward. Don't worry. Ian finds a silver lining. So <laughs> the first moment's a letdown and then you meet at the house. But what's great about that is I do get to see the people at their house. You know, I usually tell them, I'll meet you at the house with your keys. So I get to see them go in the house the first time. That moment means the world to Ian. All the hard work of wrestling through the showings, lendings, inspections, all that bureaucracy finally pays off. It brings a sense of pride to help people. And just to know that maybe you got them to do something they would have been uncomfortable doing otherwise and change something in their life. I've had clients who have money. It's not like they're struggling to get by. You know, they're buying their first house. that's a $400,000 house. And we've been at the closing table and they said, I never would have made it because I'm too scared to make the decisions. I've always felt like it was such a big decision. And I never would have made it unless you would have walked me through it. I'm one of those people that Ian's talking about. As a late bloomer with those exact same anxieties, I only bought my first house three years ago, and I had to get through the whole process in under six weeks. We never could have done that on our own. Home has always been where my family is, even while renting, but customizing our home to us has been a different level of making a home, even if it isn't properly sized for a pandemic. We started this episode promising stories of people who work at houses, or in houses for their jobs. But what I find so interesting about our guest today is that they all actually work at home. If we define home as the place where they feel safe and comfortable and connected to their family. Lisa works in her house because to be the most creative, she needs an environment that she feels comfortable without business hours or dress codes. Ron's home has always been the flooring business. His father was a carpet layer, and from as early as he could make the case that he was a man, he's been a carpet layer. Ron recounted a complicated relationship with his dad, but I saw a sweet look of nostalgia on his face when he told me that he still hears his dad's voice in his head on every job. It's like when he's working, he's home. Yeah, Ian has a similar experience. After trying a different career, he returned to a career with the connections to his father and their shared love. Eventually, he found his way home. 
I think I understand my unrest about being stuck at home differently now. All this time, I've been thinking it was about missing the travel, the experiences, and the people out there. And yes, I miss those things, of course. But I'm just now recognizing that I'm also mourning the loss of coming home. Hmm. Yeah. Sometimes when I would get home and open the garage door to pull the car in, I'd find a kid waiting for me in the garage. I used to be a little bit annoyed by them pouncing on me before I could even get out of the car. But gosh, I miss pulling into the house and seeing those expectant faces waiting for me. Or dropping my purse and suitcase and kicking off my heels and just exhaling. Nothing feels as good as coming home. Oh yeah. Because of my mom's illness, I had to fly back to Utah in April. During the beginning of the pandemic. Which was totally terrifying. But my parents needed me. So I donned what was basically a hazmat suit and I did it. My parents still live in my childhood home. So living there as an adult with my parents is kind of strange. But the weird thing is, it gave me a sense that I was coming home. I was physically there with them in the home where she took care of me so that I could take care of her. It was really special. I left home to go home and then left home again to return home. Dorothy was right. There's really no place like home. I wish I could click my heels and have that going home feeling again. This sounds like a wonderfully socially distant way to travel. The Work It Podcast is a production of WFAE. This episode was hosted by Stephanie Hill, who calls her hammock her second home. And Jill Bierz, who's most at home in her soft cat pajamas. Our producer is Joni Deutsch, whose heart is in her home state of West Virginia. Our editor is Greg Collard, who is making a new home with his new wife. And a special thanks to our guests for today's episode, Lisa, Ron, and Ian. We heard their stories, and now we want to hear yours. Yes, you, listening right now. We want your story. Go to wfae.org slash workit, or leave us a comment on facebook.com slash workitpodcast, and share with us why we should interview you for an upcoming episode. And while you're at it, make sure you subscribe to the Work It Podcast so you can hear the next episode as soon as it's released. You can subscribe to Work It on NPR One, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, keep on working it. Work It is sponsored by Carolina Asthma and Allergy Center, dedicated to treating and curing asthma and allergy challenges with patient care for all ages. 13 locations in the Charlotte area. Breathe. Live. Thrive. CarolinaAsthma.com.